Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, Brendan here with Mark, episode 260, 260, Thursday, September the 22nd, 2022. A lot of twos again, Mark. Um, we're, we're quadrupling up with a twos. How are you, Mark? Oh, Mr. Outro's jumped out really quick there. <laughs> he decided to leave abruptly. <laughs> he, he thinks, I've done my job, I'm out of here. How I'm really you? well, Brendan, really, really well. Excellent. We've had, uh, we're just chatting about boring stuff, weather and things like that, and it's all still a bit up and down a bit. It's We're into spring, supposedly, here in the Southern Hemisphere, and it's, um, gee, the weather's crazy all around the world, isn't it? I just saw a little couple of reports of the horrible weather they've been having in Japan. Did you see that, Mark? No, so I haven't seen that. What's going on Disastrous typhoon and... I think they had 5 million people. They evacuated oh 5 million goodness. from one one of the um, smaller islands um, of Japan and um, 300,000 homes destroyed and oh, major floods with it, everything. So, Jeez. yeah, so we think we've got it bad when we complain about a bit of rain, Mark. It's nothing. So, yeah. So apart from that, Mark, we're um, excellent here. I presume you are all doing well and been up to anything interesting? Oh, no, well, I, I was telling you that I had a quick drive to Sydney to see my folks yesterday and that reminded me why I don't like living in major cities. Um, what, the traffic or just the... Both the traffic and and even just, um, I reckon that, that critical mass of traffic changes the way people drive and, and yeah, it's just not um, as relaxed and... and uh, People don't look you in the eye, all that sort of stuff. It was it was amazing to just You've turned into a country it. boy. And yeah. a whole codger from the country. And you don't like going into the city because you have to take big steps and then little steps as you walk in. So instead of being able to go at your own pace. I, I know what you mean. There's there's certainly an attraction with city life and and uh, as far as dining and nightlife and all that sort of thing and theatre and all and movies and stuff like that. But apart from that, yeah, it's a bit of a bugger the travel um, and it's certainly getting worse here in Melbourne as far as if you do have to travel into the city, even non-peak hour. And peak hour tends to be much longer um, both in the morning and the evening anyway. Um, it's good once you're in there, but I don't, yeah, I'm same with you, Mark. I don't think I'd like enjoy Travelling every day, like my younger, uh, my eldest um, daughter Jane does, travels into the city every day to work in the CBD, and uh, but she seems to enjoy it. Uh, and she's young, Mark, and and That's energetic. <laughs> Not an old. Um, an old curmudgeon. An old, that's yes. right, curmudgeon was the word I was looking for. She's young and bubbly and can cope with it. <laughs> yes, so uh, good on him, but um, somebody needs to do it. I'm just glad it's not your eye, Mark. So just a quick plug for our Etsy store. Go to vetgurus.com and see our link to our Etsy store. Or go straight to Etsy, E-T-S-Y dot com, and search for Vet Gurus, and you'll find some amazing 
gear, merchandise, and incredible quality with it. Um, um, a little bit of the money goes towards supporting our podcast, so it would be great if you had a bit of a poke around there, and even better if you selected something and sh- popped it in your basket and hit pay. That would be great. We'd be <laughs> eternally grateful. It does so, just help. It does just help defray some of those um, costs, doesn't it, Brendan? For that, and, yeah, uh, and I know your your professionalism demands that we have certain minimum standards to meet, so we can't just. Do <laughs> so this why on. are we on? <laughs> why are we here? We should have a professional, um, not just a voiceover man, but the actual podcaster instead of us. But that's have we got any uh, emails, Brendan? Emails? No, nothing. Actually, not anything at all this week, which is a bit disappointing. So send an email to us, vetgurus at gmail.com, and we always want to say hello to our listeners and subscribers and tell us what you're up to, where you are, and what you uh, have been doing veterinary-wise, and we'd love to hear from you, and we'll give you a shout-out if you like. And if you're feeling a bit shy, send us an email, and we won't read out your name and details if you don't <laughs> want us to. That would be great. Yeah, we always look forward to talking or contacting our, our listeners, Mark. Um, yes. So I think with that, Mark, we'll jump into We don't have a review this week, and there's a couple of things in the pipeline that I have, Mark. don't know about you, but I, I've got a couple of things I want to review, but it may not be for a little bit longer until I thoroughly review the markets. And as the vet gurus always do, we, we don't like to jump into reviews unless we, we've – completely reviewed the product and we until it's almost been destroyed if it's a piece of equipment and then we will pop our review up so look forward to one or two of them in a couple of weeks um i have one as usual we have one news item each mark and mine's a bit of a follow-up to our quite disturbing one from last episode episode 259 which was about injecting spiders with fluid to turn them into little grippers Uh, and this one's well i think it's a little bit disturbing as well mark i'd be interested in your thoughts and that is the title is part insect part machine remote control cyborg cyborg cockroaches to search radioactive zones so remote control cyborg cockroaches which are Cockroaches were Madagascan cockroaches, Mark, which they have fitted with, Japanese scientists have fitted them with tiny leg control electrodes connected to a backpack, which they've also attached ultra-thin solar panels. So the team from the Riken Cluster for Pioneering Research in Tokyo made the insects turn left or right while the solar panels kept the animals under control for more than one month. <laughs> so they wanted to keep the battery adequately charged and they didn't want them suddenly running out of an out-of-control team of cyborg cockroaches <laughs> roaming around. <laughs> I wonder why. And interestingly in math, Mark, and it gets even more bizarre, uh, the, the Dr. Ma- Masataka um, said, while it's possible to build docking stations for the recharging of the battery, so I presume a bit like uh, those docking stations people have for their um, little floor cleaners, the vacuum cleaners or whatever that that eventually find a docking station and charge themselves, the need to return and recharge could disrupt time-sensitive missions, he said. Therefore, the best solution is to include an onboard solar cell that can continuously ensure the battery stays 
charged. And they scanned, that's quite fascinating what they did. They scanned the cockroaches before 3D printing a special flexible material which snugly fit around the thorax, allowing the cockroach to still move, Mark. Early attempts where the solar cells were too thick or too rigidly attached meant that the cockroaches had difficulty writing themselves if they fell over on their backs or they ran slower. So what they're trying to do, Mark, is they're hoping to um, eventually um, move this on to uh, um, flying insects as well. And they are thinking of using them for hazardous radioactive sites so they could use a swarm of cockroaches to check radioactive areas or or to monitor the environment so they send all these cockroaches into that you know nuclear power station that's that's gone into meltdown to see what's happening in there Um, i suppose they could also do things like attach little you know micro cameras on there and monitoring equipment etc with them so yeah. Does this it's, not worry anyone? They, they're, they're creating cyborg <laughs> five centimetre cockroaches and sending them into radioactive yes. um, locations. And to then do. they're going to do it on <laughs> flying insects as well. Yes, it's it's bizarre, isn't it, Mark? Um, so it's pretty amazing the little setup they've got there, Mark, haven't they? Uh, and, and quite interesting, the little... Um, picture of the cockroach they have there you'll notice mark there's a blue wire and a <laughs> red wire right. so Don't if cut the blue wire if they go out of control which wire do you cut mark <laughs> um, is my question oh, so dear. what do you think about this mark mark cyborg at- cockroaches I think um that it's outside my area of expertise and I don't know the like I, obviously these um this um Almost nanotechnology, the very, very micro technology that's required to create a solar panel and a circuit board that um, lasts on a cockroach for a month. Um, that's amazing. And obviously, there'll be other applications when they pursue these things and they develop these technologies. I suspect the, the a large part of the benefit won't be in the original project. And they're cockroaches for crying out loud. They, they're not going to sit out in the sun and bake to recharge the battery. I don't yes. think that's been well thought out. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's amazing. I don't. I struggle. Like if the cockroach is just big enough to hold the circuit and the um, the solar panel, and and I think they manipulate the the electrodes manipulate some of the legs so they can make them turn left and right. Um, it sort of does make where are they going to put the they have to be a bloody small camera um they probably are going to collect samples or some sort of sensor or i don't know place things but um geez <laughs> maybe it's, maybe just make a proper robot stop yes. being lazy send in one of the bigger ones like the the, the you know the police or the army sort of um defusing bomb disposal you know one yeah there. but an interesting article, nevertheless, Mark, but a little bit disturbing, um, according to <laughs> It me. does sound like the first few pages of a, of a uh, dystopian, you know, novel, yes, science fiction novel. Or something, yeah. yes. Now, what My have you got, Mark? news story is um, much more prosaic and, uh, and, and maybe equally 
maybe more depressing, um, but it talks about Anna's hummingbirds. Um, so it's an interesting topic because there are some hummingbirds at the moment who uh, uh, who are literally moving north, who are moving up the, for example, the west coast of America and into Canada. And of course, hummingbirds being really, really tiny and having super high metabolic rates have a relatively high body temperature and they need a reasonably high environmental temperature. You know, they, they're, they're tropical birds, essentially. Um, and a couple of them do extend into more temperate regions, but um, but the, there has been a bit of a theory that, um, that they will migrate, that climate change will change the area that they can survive in, making the tropical parts too hot and the more temperate parts more appropriate for more species. But Anna's hummingbird um, probably represents a more true world model where um, cooler, uh, um, cooler temperatures at a higher locales, you know, elevation-wise rather than latitudinally, um, if, if the birds become altitudinal migrants, then they can avoid the higher temperatures associated with climate change. But um, Anna's hummingbird will live no higher than about uh, 2,600 metres because their high metabolic rate means that they struggle to fly well in the thinner air. The actual less dense air at a higher elevation um, isn't enough to support their uh, well, I don't know. Is it not enough to physically support the, the, you know, that they beat their wings so fast they don't have enough resistance and can't stay afloat? I think that's what it is. Um, but yeah, working hard to stay aloft in the thinner air um, will mean that they um, they don't fly as much, they don't feed as much, and they will require more energy. And those two things sliding into each other will mean that. Um, they'll get worse and worse and die. Um, so um, moving to a cooler location may not always be um, the answer in the case of climate change. And Anna's hummingbird gives us a you know real-world example. Are you with me, it, Brendan? Yes. <laughs> I, I was just thinking maybe there is a combination of – and gee, I've been very interested in the monitor there, you know, the – oxygen saturation and, and heart rates um, at that sort of level, whether it's possible at all. Maybe we should get the cyborg. cyborg I was going to say a little team onto it. Yes. With, with, with a solar panel on it. Yes. And that might be well, the way for us to assess yes, their metabolic rate. Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Um, yeah. It's pretty damn high up, isn't it? Um, because they transported them went to to um, an aviary twelve hundred meters above sea level, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then they relocated them to three thousand eight hundred meters, yeah, um, yeah. It very interesting. Sorry, Mark. Um, well done. It'll be. Um, it, I think it, the take home message with all of our um, uh, climate change stories is: let's just try and make sure it happens as least po as possible. Let's. Stop putting carbon dioxide in the air and not 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 see how these things play out when there's dramatic changes in the temperature of the earth. Yep. So, Brenda, my um, the main topic for us tonight was triggered by um, an article. I you know because we've got um, our good friends um, 
who uh, do the research for us, our entire research team, decided to take a holiday all at once. And so I've been keeping my eye open for a, um, you know, for a, uh, for particular topics we might talk about. I know you have, and that explains why we've gotten these, um, these wonderful stories that we've delivered today. Um, but one of the ones that struck me was um, the unfortunate case of Peter Eads, a, uh, um, an alpaca breeder in um, Western Australia who um, only a couple of weeks ago, I believe, uh, yeah, um, uh, only a couple of weeks ago, was killed by a kangaroo. Um, he had a, uh, well, the police have described it as a pet kangaroo, um, and the kangaroo attacked him and um, ultimately mortally wounded him. Um, the police had to kill the kangaroo, um, which, uh, because, because of its behaviour around him, they were called to the property. Um, he was in a, a serious state, but the police couldn't get to him because of the kangaroo, and so, um, uh, so they, uh, um, they had to shoot the kangaroo. Um, unfortunately, I do want to take the time to just point out that kangaroos are potentially dangerous, but um, uh, this is only, the last death before poor Peter um, was in um, that I can identify was in 1936. So it's not like the kangaroos are drop bears and dropping onto people and um, and killing someone each few weeks. Um, there's um, there, there's uh, a, you know, quite a long time between serious injuries, and I don't know the specifics of, um, you know, what sort of injury that uh, Peter was seventy-seven, and so um, what sort of injury he ended up with. A three-year-old male kangaroo it was, and they tend to um, uh, do a, an awful lot of um, a fairly robust male play. Where they, um, I know, Kate's reared a couple of. Um, of eastern grey kangaroos, and and uh, they were not nearly as big as this animal, and um, they will grab you with their forelegs, rock back on their tail, and and rake you with their hind legs, and um, eviscerate you. Yeah, and we've certainly careful. seen yes. um, <laughs> dogs um, brought to the hospital who have um, uh, who have life ending injuries from from exactly that sort of an attack. So. Um, so I would be not surprised that's uh, that's what's happened to poor Peter. Um, but the upshot of all this, the 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 where I found this was a bit of a comment about um, uh, um, an American um, uh, journalist who I follow on Twitter commented that um, wild animals um, are not pets. That was sort of the takeaway message in his tweet. Um, and I thought, oh, that would be an interesting topic to discuss, and particularly as it pertains to animals like um, kangaroos. So I thought we'd um, just talk about um, the nature of pets, I suppose, a little bit, and um, some wild animals as pets and the implications of them, Brendan. Whew, you've opened up a worm of cans. one there, haven't you? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I think our... Our, we'll probably be in agreement in that generally it's not a good idea to have wildlife effect. But it's let's get back to the start of the process with these. You know, how do these 
people or persons manage to acquire these animals as pets, Mark. And and it might be sort of a slow process there, couldn't um, may it? And they become attached to them. And the classic would would be that wildlife carer, wouldn't it? Um, that that takes on Definitely. an injured or orphaned member of the wildlife um, fraternity, and then then gets attached to it. And they, it's, it's human nature, isn't it? That they're in it because they want to want to do the right thing by the animal. And these wildlife carers, by the large percentage of them, are, are exactly that. They're they're caring for the wildlife, and they've got their hearts in it and they do the right thing but they cannot a lot of the time they cannot help becoming attached to the animal and often it's one that that may be a bit of a poor doer mark that struggles and and it may then be a individual that shouldn't be released back into the wild and probably with a fair percentage of them and the classic there would be in in our situation in australia here mark would be the possums that that aren't yeah. doing very well and they might have chronic diarrhea or poor coat or or poor growth and really stunted animal and at some stage along that process the, the carer or the veterinarian that's overseeing the the care of that animal medically should make a hard decision and decide, hey, this this possum cannot be released back into the world, and we have to make a a tough decision to decide. It's, it's difficult, though, Brendan. And it is. It is. And and we've had certain situations. So uh, a um uh where um juvenile animals that uh um that are in the company of older animals of the same species are better socialised, and so. There, there. I know it's a bit tenuous, but there is an uh, at least some foundation for the idea of keeping some um, animals that might not be suitable for yep. release in a situation where they can socialise uh, subsequent generations and facilitate their release. Um, and like you said, it is. Um, I understand how difficult it is when uh, when animals you know those wild animals inadvertently not because anyone's um, deliberately doing anything wrong but they become uh, humanized and desensitized to human contact um, and even if those animals were then released um, you know they would go and seek out they've been humanized they would go and seek out humans and so um, that process is it, it's um it's not clear cut. It's not. It's very nuanced, and and it's very easy, even for experienced people, to just get a degree wrong with that, and then it's um, bad. But you're right. Absolutely. It, it and, requires. And I think the other factor in that is, and you've hinted at it, is that the legalities of it, which are going to vary between you know states and territories and countries there, and yeah. and the laws are, are sort of structured usually um, to do the right thing, and and and. Some of them, it's very black and white, and that if that animal's not a hundred percent fit to be released back into the wild, it probably won't survive if it's been released back into the wild. So it should not be released back into the wild. And there's a sometimes there's a cascading list of things that could then happen to it, um, which with the last one being euthanasia, and that may be if it's a, a, a specimen that that could be used for breeding purposes yeah, um, or yeah. into a zoo education, et cetera, then it's placed in those. Or if it's a species that's 
you know, threatened or endangered, obviously it's not going to be euthanized. And it's going through that list there, but um, because, that, you know, there's certainly plenty of studies been done with the common species, especially in, in, in various countries, that if they're not fit to close to 100% to be released where they've trapped or tagged them and, 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 and followed them, um, that they do end up on average or more than average ending up um, oh, was dying, there, there dying was, a horrible death, yeah. There was that famous study in Melbourne where they um, they followed a large – it was a very large number of ringed hull possums that, were, that had gone through rehabilitation and uh, – and none of them, once they were released, none of them lived more than about ten weeks after they yep. they found it difficult. Even in poorly territory, you know, where there was available what perceived what the humans perceived there was available territory, um, the animals failed to establish territory, failed to thrive, failed to get enough food, and and as you said, passed away. Um, and I wouldn't even want to think. Like the amount of money and time that was spent on that cohort of uh, ringtail possums alone, and and not a single one then contributed, you know, to the population. Um, so it does make, you know, it does cast those decisions that we need to make about wildlife into sharp relief. But it also makes it all the more important to make those decisions before people become attached and uh, and um, develop. You know that that's the essence of a pet, isn't it? That relationship that develops, and um, and uh, the codependence, the fact that the animal becomes dependent on the person, and the person becomes dependent on the animal, um, and and we as people involved in pets to start with, and wildlife care secondarily, need to work hard to make sure that rehabilitators um, don't end up. Um, encouraging inadvertently that codependence yeah and that's where it's getting back to exactly what you said um it's it's education there and as far as the veterinary industry goes and um our listeners it's it's developing a good relationship with the good carers um and the clients that are willing to listen and and do the right thing and and going through that whole process um ideally way before um, it's going to happen, and yeah, you're always going to get caught out. But it's it's teaching or, or, or educating the the new wildlife carer, for instance, about the the fact that they will have an attachment with the you know it's it's the it's it's human nature, as I said at the start. It's the old going to walking past a a, a, a pet shop and seeing the the. A litter of puppies in the window in in the old days, Mark, and you can't help feeling sorry for the one that looks skinny and you know has the has the um, take me home eyes, yeah. <laughs> and they're the ones that um, people will tend to pick, and we, we we still see that with 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 everything from from birds to reptiles, and um, I, I'll say to a client, why did you choose the the bearded dragon that has a hunchback that's had really severe metabolic bone disease? Because I felt sorry for it, uh, and they've they've purchased a problem, you know, and they end up spending lots of money on it and, and um, may end up with a horrible result in an animal that, that doesn't survive and needs being put to sleep. So it's the same process with it. They, they um, And it's trying to help... Um, look at the greater picture and, and try and and it's 
always hard, isn't it? Um, that we have that possum or that kangaroo that's not doing well that we need to cut our losses and, and decide that we've got to be practical about this. This animal is not going to be released into the world and it, it is potentially dangerous getting back to the the topic at hand that, that, that you know, the adult wombat, the adult kangaroo, the adult tiger or palm that... Um, you know, somebody's purchased the tiger as a as a youngster, and um, it, it turns into a tiger, and it's not a pet. Um, and, and and I think that's the, the that's a really key. There are some animals who, by the nature of their either size or behaviour, as adult animals, are, are never going to be pets. Then they're, they're not um, they're not suitable for um, for. Uh, human companionship, um, that partnership that is pet owning. Um, and there are exceptional circumstances uh, where, like we said, a, a, a soft release of um, a kangaroo at a, a farm house where people are aware of the potential danger and protect themselves, um, you know, that might be an acceptable thing to to not have to consider euthanasia for a humanized animal but um but yeah you have to be aware that um that um the those animals that draw us to them that um make us uh, want to be around them often in the final analysis are not always going to behave like they you know, we can't anthropomorphize and and say, "Oh, they're they're that way because they love us," because that's generally not the case, and and it blinds us to the fact that they may well go on to relatively normal behaviours for that species, which may be hugely deleterious for us, um, and may even cause them to suffer. Yep. So, what do we do, Mark? What's the what would your approach to be? With the person who has that kangaroo, that adult kangaroo as as the pet at home, or the I mean, I've I haven't had well, I've had people have had sort of adult kangaroos sort of in a semi wild, and you hinted at it previously um, earlier in the episode uh, where they they're on sort of a bush block, um, yep, yep. and they they it may or may not be fenced, um, and it may you know, um, a butt onto a, you know, nature reserve or, 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 or a, a um, um, national park. Um, and, you know, personally, I don't see any issue with having that kangaroo can free roam um, if it decides to do so, but because it's habituated with humans, it tends to hang around the house and, and is fed some, you know, um, some... Um, some browse, etc., by the by the carers, um, and it may not reintegrate with the mob, and it has has you know it might be a runted kangaroo or whatever. Um, I, I don't see that as a pro- problem. Um, I think even the key by thing... the- theory, it, you know, and, and and looking at the legislation here in Victoria, it should be euthanized that animal. You know, it's not fit for release back into the wild. And it is a little bit that whole concept of a soft release where the animals might be kept in a yard for a few months to familiarise them with an area, and then the gates open and they can go free. But a lot. A lot depends on how well humanised they are, and I definitely. Uh, we had one case up here where the the uh, kangaroo in question, going through the soft release, hopped out of the um, 
you know, the yard, disappeared for a few days, um, then showed up at the door and uh, wandered inside and flopped itself on the lounge in front of the TV. Um, and, yeah, I suppose it. I suppose what do you do in that circumstance? You have to educate the people that that's... Uh, that they have to work to stop that from happening, that bad things will eventually happen um, if an animal, if a wild animal is allowed to, to continue to do that. And it may not be even the, you know, that animal that's been humanised may not precipitate an immediate problem, but maybe a dominant male that wants to kick it out that goes um, uh, rampaging through the house. There are potentially very severe consequences um, and people have to um, be educated we have to take advantage of our um, station and our understanding to pass good information on to people so but it is tricky isn't it with those ones where there's they just won't listen to you so it's it's i mean my it approach is. my approach these days to that is it's it's like the client who no matter what you how softly or, or hard you try and push a point with them as, as far as treatment for an animal. Um, they just either don't believe you or they're not willing to go down the track of, of what you recommend for their pet. Um, I think at some stage you end up saying, look, you've just got to let it go. <laughs> as in, no, well, it's probably not good choice of words there, let it go <laughs> when, when we're talking about wildlife. But um, so just don't, you know, think, yeah, just move on um, in your own mind and say, okay, well, I'm never going to convince this person to do what it I is, think it is, is the right thing. Yeah. It is almost one of the important times to think about that whole divorce process that we've talked about before, uh, practice, client divorce, that you reach a point where you say, look, what's going on here? Um, I, I, we're I can foresee potential problems. The direction that you're going in is not in the best interests of you or the animal, and you're not listening to me. and And um, and you should seek um, advice from elsewhere if you're going to continue down this path. Um, but like you said, there reaches a point where um, you, where you, you've got to let go of the people that aren't listening to you and focus on the ones that do. Yep. Brendan, what do you think about? Because um, I think in New South Wales, the legislation here would, um, particularly if there's a, let's say someone was holding a uh, an illegal uh, exotic animal, there's very, very strong mandates on anyone who knows about that to make sure they report it to um, the, the uh, uh, biosecurity people uh, because of the potential biosecurity risk those exotic, illegally held exotic animals hold. Um, and vets are not um, immune from that mandate. Vets are required in New South Wales to, um, to be um, promptly letting um, the appropriate uh, Department of Agriculture officer know of those events. Um, but I'm always cautious... Um, about leaping to, um, you know, uh, a, a um, dobbing them in. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's a, a legal remedy. I'm, I'm just always just a bit cautious about um, entering into that circle. I want to make sure um, that I'm going to, um, you know, there's so many things to consider there. I want to make sure I'm going to get a good outcome, A, for the animal, the primary reason for thinking about doing something. Um, I want to, you know, I don't want to 
sometimes with those wildlife things, um, the the uh, hand of the authority can be relatively clumsy and heavy at times, and may not, you know, have the nuance required for a for a, a subtle education. Um, and um, and you've also got to be cautious of uh, of the business that you're involved in. You might be work, working for a practice that doesn't want you know, they can't afford to get a reputation as um, uh, um, reporting all the people who are borderline on the edge of the the um, uh, the law. Um, yeah, it's it's not easy. I think you've got to man up sometimes. No, oh, wrong word. I don't want to. Um, you know, you've got to be brave and. Um, and choose to do whatever you think is the right thing. And if that means involving authorities and the law, then you've just got to write out the consequences. But it's not an easy choice to make. Nope. And I think get into what we were chatting to before about developing relationships, it would be the same aspect with the relationships you have with the relative um, department, depending on on where you live, Mark, and trying to having a bit of a chat to them about the whole difficulties of this process, even Certainly. though the law may be you know black and white, um, and having having them on on board as well, and and working together as a team when when you are exposed to that that case of that exotic pet or whatever um, that that you have a have a person in the department. Could, is not too heavy-handed with the way they deal with the person, you know, that they, they talk them through it as well, you know. And, uh, and it's almost like having, you know, the, they used to have the amnesties with some of these animals, didn't they, at one, every now and again where you could um, declare that you had, you know, reptiles or birds or whatever that you shouldn't and you wouldn't be thrown in jail for it, but they would you would be um, taught the right thing about it and, and potentially have the animals taken off you. But, but um, encouraging people not to go further underground with it all. And I think the other thing, you know, wildlife, in this instance, a kangaroo leads us down that wildlife rehabilitation pathway because I think that's probably how the kangaroo came to be humanised and uh, and that's eventually led to a problem. But, um, but I think there are other animals that, you know, um, that don't do well in captivity and probably don't do well you know i've had my gotten on my soapbox on this uh forum and and talked about how i worry that eclectus parrots are, are difficult birds for many people to supply all their 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 requirements and that um the nature of eclectus parrots um and the relationship they develop with people after they've been hand reared um makes them you know, makes them have health and feather picking problems and reproductive problems. Um, so I think there are um, some wild animals that probably are more amenable to, um, you know, I think of um, sugar gliders as um, as animals that adapt and and become humanised more easily um, and probably manage a very high quality of life in those circumstances. Uh, but I think there's um, a lot of animals um, that do not. Many of the wild animals that are held by people can't really be considered pets because they just don't fit into that category. Yep. I agree, Mark. I agree. Um, so I, I'm just glad we're not in 
one of the other countries of the world where you can have, for instance, the, the Tigris, the pet mark. Yeah, and and yeah. I'm sure some of our our listeners and subscribers um, may have been exposed to some horrific stories. So it would be interesting if we could get an email or two or three about that, Mark, um, whether it's a tiger or a bear or or whatever. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've had experience with, speaking of, Bears, even though they're not bears, Mark koalas. <laughs> um, I've ha- had um, experience of somebody having koala illegally and uh, in very inappropriate adult koala. Not that they ended up being attacked by the koala, although they're not a nice animal to deal with when you have an angry koala. Mark. Um, you've got teeth and claws, uh, but they, you know, had this koala as a pet that they'd bring out for parties, etc., and it was totally inappropriate. Um, and I've had the odd monkey that's been um, seen um, that was an ex-circus oh, monkey and um, the whole a cat, a thing. yeah, and a bit of a disaster. So, But, yes, I'm glad that I don't have to deal with a panther or a tiger or, you know, the big cats or, or bears, etc. that might be kept as a pet because it certainly is many countries in the world, isn't it, that you can have and virtually if- anything as a pet. But Brendan, I feel for the veterinarians who work in that that sort of environment, in that sort of legislative and cultural framework, because they're ultimately going to be the ones who, um, who, you know, if you don't treat my tiger now, then it's going to die, or you know what I mean? It's they're they're almost held to ransom the poor yes. vets in those yep. um, jurisdictions because um, uh, because no one else like. Vets are the only ones who have those skills and resources to look after the health of animals, um, and if you're painted into that corner, it's it's um it would not be a pleasant thing at all. Yeah. So I'd be really keen to um on this topic on uh, pets that are suitable or pets that are dangerous or how how our, some of our listeners have coped around the world would be a great uh, topic for some feedback I reckon Brendan. So I'd be glad to hear if anyone's got some time and a good story. Whack it on. Uh, get on to our uh, vet guru's uh, webpage. Use the. Uh, email um yep. it's or just send it straight to vetgurus at gmail.com it's that simple mark oh, we'd love to hear from you absolutely and i think with that mark we better get out of here because mr outro is uh wanting to head off for dinner and he needs to um, do his outro bit and before we do that um i just want to say we'll see you all next week <laughs> we'll see you then listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time